As the rector of St Bride's Church, Fleet Street, may I welcome you very warmly to this service. Our doors are open once again, and we are now able to offer a said service of Holy Communion each Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. But these online acts of choral worship, which draw upon archive recordings of our choir and congregation, combined with newly recorded readings, prayers and sermons, will continue each week so that you can enjoy the full wonders of our amazing choral tradition until such time as we can sing once again. I shall be offering this act of worship on your behalf, so please join your prayers with mine. May the light and hope of Christ be with us all as our worship begins. Jesus said, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. It is a great delight to welcome you to St. Bride's to our choral Eucharist on this the 10th Sunday after Trinity. Wherever you are in the world, and however you're listening to us, we hope that you will feel that you are very much part of the St. Bride's family. We begin with our opening prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts 
by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven, and to bring us to eternal life. Let us confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace with all. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and keep you in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and, that they may obtain their petitions, make them to ask such things as shall please you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 45, beginning at the first verse. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you, and your children, and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your households and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honoured in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The epistle is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11, beginning at the first verse. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. 
but he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the living God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have just heard one of those gospel readings that has left generations of preachers tying themselves in knots as they try to work out what on earth they can find to say about it because, at face value, it is so disturbing. Did Jesus really behave so dismissively to a woman who was so obviously in need? What is even more extraordinary is that the story we heard a moment ago from St. Matthew is considerably less shocking than the original version, which we find in Mark, the earliest of the four Gospels. It would seem that even St. Matthew struggled with the story and felt the need to tone it down. So, if you are braced for a bit of a bumpy theological ride, let's start by going right back to the earliest no-holds-barred version of this story as originally told by St. Mark. And what he tells us is this. Jesus is in a house in the city of Tyre. He is hoping that nobody will find him and that everyone will just leave him alone for a while. Basically, Jesus needs a break. But of course, he couldn't escape notice for long, and a Gentile woman turns up, a Syrophoenician, whose daughter has an unclean spirit. And the woman bows down at Jesus' feet and begs him to heal her daughter. His response to this unfortunate woman is not only abrupt, it is actually insulting. Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, he retorts. Undeterred, the woman has the courage to challenge him. Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. At which point Jesus responds, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And the woman went home and found her child lying in bed, the demon gone. What is so challenging about this story which has for centuries left Christians feeling deeply uncomfortable, is that it shows us a side of Jesus we would much rather not know about. There are, of course, other places in the Gospels where Jesus shows himself to be the master of the sharp retort. There is the cleansing of the temple, too, when he overturns the tables of the money changers and drives them out with a whip made of cord. But mostly, he does this kind of thing as a sort of Robin Hood figure, taking on religious corruption and fighting valiantly on the side of the vulnerable and the defenseless 
against the religious authorities. And we can deal with that. But what is disturbing about this story is that Jesus is addressing a woman who has come to him in great distress and in abject need. She bows at Jesus' feet. No wonder so many clergy over the years have tried to do their best either to sidestep this story completely or to attempt to explain it away. The usual explanation, which is wholly unconvincing, is that Jesus was, of course, only pretending to be harsh in order to test the Syrophoenician woman's faith. He didn't really mean it. But that kind of explanation simply will not do. It is nonsense and it does not ring true, nor, incidentally, does it let Jesus off the hook. To one who is desperate, his retort is dismissive, almost to the point of cruelty. No, it seems to me that there is something much more significant going on here, which is perhaps, in its own way, even more challenging. Before I go on to explain what I mean by that, let's have a quick look at the ways in which St. Matthew does his best to tone this story down in the version we actually heard today. First, he leaves out any reference to Jesus finding a house to hide in and any suggestion that Jesus is desperate to escape. In St. Matthew's version, we're simply told that Jesus turned up in Tyre and Sidon. And when the woman appears, she approaches Jesus and his whole entourage, and she does so shouting at him. This is no longer a private encounter between Jesus and a woman who comes to him in quiet desperation. This is a public event. Matthew tells us that in response to the shouting woman, Jesus, in fact, said nothing. Instead, it is his disciples who want the woman turned away as a result of her own bad behavior. Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. And when Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he is speaking not to the woman, but to the disciples. In other words, Matthew changes the dynamic of the whole encounter. And as a result, the interaction between Jesus and the woman appears much gentler by comparison. She kneels before Jesus saying, Lord, help me. And it is then that Jesus says those words about not giving children's food to the dogs, but his response to her feels far less abrupt and dismissive. And Matthew has already led us to believe that it was the woman's own pushy behavior that was part of the problem in the first place. I now want us to return to the original, more challenging version, partly because I don't want to duck its difficulties, but also because I think that it is in Mark's Gospel that we perhaps find clues to what is really going on here. In St. Mark's version, this story, the story of the Syrophoenician woman, follows immediately after an incident in which Jesus has been condemned by the scribes and the Pharisees for allowing his disciples to eat food with unwashed hands, thereby transgressing the Jewish law. Jesus, in turn, accuses the scribes and Pharisees of hypocrisy and quotes Isaiah against them, saying, "'This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. In other words, Jesus points out that what God asks of his people is ultimately 
a thing of the heart. The externals of religion, such as hand-washing and all the other distinctions between clean and unclean, are meaningless without that. By implication, of course, he is also calling into question one of the most basic distinctions between Jew and Gentile, because in daily life, the Jewish purity laws enforced the Jewish separation from Gentile people. It is immediately after this dispute with the religious authorities that Jesus finds himself confronted by the Syrophoenician woman in Tyre, a woman who is a Gentile who has faith. She is a Gentile who has the law of God in her heart. In other words, she embodies the very thing that Jesus has just been talking about to the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus has just made it clear that the distinction between clean and unclean is not what ultimately matters in the eyes of God. And now here she is. In that house in Tyre, Jesus is exhausted and drained and doesn't want to see anyone, least of all this wretched woman who has no right to make demands of him. She's not even Jewish. But when she demonstrates a faith that is stronger than his rebuke to her, that is something he simply cannot ignore. Because in doing so, she has also, quite without realizing it, presented a challenge to him. How does what Jesus has just been saying to the scribes and Pharisees relate to what he is doing now? Christian orthodoxy has always affirmed the full humanity as well as the full divinity of Christ. But sometimes we really do struggle with the full humanity bit. We can manage to deal with those incidents when Jesus is shown weeping and exhausted or angry. We can manage when we see him agonizing over his destiny in the Garden of Gethsemane. We can even take account of his utter despair and desolation when, in agony, he cries from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I suspect that many of us still find it hard to get to grips with the idea that Jesus didn't appear on the earth fully formed as the Messiah, all-knowing and all-wise. And yet the notion that Jesus was himself on a journey of self-discovery is entirely consistent with the story that St. Mark recounts in his gospel. Indeed, if you read Mark's gospel carefully, it's perfectly plausible that it was only at his moment of baptism that Jesus' self-awareness of his unique vocation truly began. But if we are to take the full humanity of Christ seriously alongside his full divinity, there must have been some progression because omniscience is not a human trait. Nor do we appear from the womb fully formed. That is why it's so wonderful that we have four gospels. In Mark, we see Jesus at his most human. In John, we see him at his most divine. We need both. But that is also why I find St. Mark's Gospel so utterly refreshing and real and encouraging, because the Jesus we encounter there really is one of us in his weakness and exhaustion and even in his exasperated rattiness. It does not strike me as remotely problematic that his own understanding of the true nature of his calling and the true cost of his calling might have unfolded for him as his ministry unfolded. And just possibly the, the Syrophoenician woman helped him to recognize one crucial part of it. 
Jesus the Christ is not merely our Saviour. He is also the one upon whose life we should strive to model our own lives. And far from detracting from my faith in him, the fact that we see Jesus as truly one of us makes his significance for our salvation far more real and far, far more meaningful. Amen. Let us now stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Sisters and brothers in Christ, God invites us to hold the needs of friends and loved ones before him. And so, loving our neighbours as ourselves, we offer our thanksgivings and our petitions on behalf of the Church and the world. Faithful God, we pray today for your blessing to be on our Church and our congregation, for your presence to be seen vividly in what we do and say each day. We pray that your joy and your love will flow freely in and through us, and that we might never be a temptation to those around us. We pray for persecuted Christian believers, and for minority Christian communities where they are under pressure, and for all who suffer for their faith. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Creator God, we pray for all in authority, that they may never be tempted to abuse or misuse their power. We pray for the nations of the world, for those in Lebanon, for the countries of the world where the pandemic continues to rage, for this country and for those struggling to continue in work or who have lost their jobs. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Loving God, friend of those in need, your Son Jesus can free us from our burdens and heal our bodies and spirits. We pray for those still burdened, those seeking healing, those in need. We pray for those suffering from addiction of any kind and ask that you help them to put the temptation of the world behind them. We continue to pray for those affected by the pandemic in any way and especially those who will not recover. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful God, we commend into your hands those who have departed this life. You gave them life and loved them through their journey of life. Receive them now at the end of that journey into your eternal presence, and may they rest in everlasting peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
Father God, we pray for the times when our blinkered vision prevents us from taking care of our families or households, or when through our business we take no part in the life of our neighbourhood or our wider community. Gracious God, as we go out into the world, we pray that we may reflect your love in our families, our church and our community, so that the world can witness that we are followers of Christ and draw others into his loving care. As we say together, Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of thy Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body by the cross. We meet in his name and we share his peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness we have this bread to offer, which earth has given and human hands have made. It will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness we have this wine to offer, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever.
It is indeed right, it is our duty and our joy, at all times and in all places, to give you thanks and praise. Holy Father, Heavenly King, Almighty and Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. For he is your living word. Through him you have created all things from the beginning and formed us in your own image. Through him you have freed us from the slavery of sin, giving him to be born of a woman and to die upon the cross. You raised him from the dead and exalted him to your right hand on high. Through him you have sent upon us your holy and life-giving spirit and made us a people for your own possession. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and singing. Accept our praises, Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as we follow his example and obey his command, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us his body and his blood, who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Therefore, Heavenly Father, we remember his offering of himself made once for all upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension. We look for the coming of his kingdom, and with this bread and this cup, we make the memorial of Christ, your Son, our Lord. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Accept through him, our great high priest, this our sacrifice of thanks and praise. And as we eat and drink these holy gifts in the presence of your divine majesty, renew us by your spirit, inspire us with your love, and unite us in the body of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all who stand before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours for ever and ever. Amen. Let us pray with confidence, as our Saviour has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercy. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy, Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen.
Let us pray. God of our pilgrimage, you have willed that the gate of mercy should stand open for those who trust in you. Look upon us with your favour, that we who follow the path of your will may never wander from the way of life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.